Welcome, fellow lighting nerds and friends, to another episode of The Light Files, the lighting industry's podcast, powered by the Lighting Showroom Association and hosted by me, Lisa Bartlett. Thank you for tuning in again. As I mentioned at the very tail end of last week's podcast, um, I am switching our format here to a bi-weekly release of the podcast. Um, Quite honestly, because it takes a lot of time and energy um, to come up with 20-minute podcast episodes, <laughs> and I would rather have uh, quality over quantity, um, especially as I record this episode. It is episode number 98, so we have 98 episodes of great lighting content for you to go back and listen to, and I want the next uh, 100 episodes um, to be just as valuable to each of you as the ones that came before it. So in my efforts to do that, I'm I'm tailing it back to a bi-weekly podcast. Stay subscribed. It'll just download every other Tuesday right into your favorite podcast player. And I look forward to continuing our conversations. And thank you uh, so much for staying a part of the, the podcast world here with The Light Files. So this week's episode, I got the January 2023 printed copy of the Furniture, Lighting, and Decor magazine. I received it in my showroom. Um, I always glance through the publication. Um, sometimes I read it in real detail, and sometimes I... Well, there was nothing in that one for me, but <laughs> but I do uh, love the editorial content of the magazine. Um, I'm just going to be real honest. I don't really pay much attention to the ads because it feels like um, the industry is just like advertising back at itself. Um, I understand the uh, audience of the magazine has shifted a bit over the years, you know, back from when it was residential lighting and then on from there. Um, so I understand the audience isn't the same as it was, but you know, ads that would be important to me are like from my service providers or people that might want to contract for my services, whether it's an accounting software or a computer software or uh, a management training or a marketing service, like that kind of advertising would actually be something I would look at in uh, this magazine. But seeing um, another ad from everybody that I just saw in Dallas, uh, well, that doesn't really do much for me. But I will say, uh, advertisements aside, the editorial content of this month's publication was amazing. So kudos to editor Diane Falvey for just a, fa a fabulous publication. There's a lot of great writers and journalists in our industry. Um, of course, we all know Linda Longo very well. She is amazing at what she does, but I thought this was amazing. And I immediately started dog-earing pages for the podcast because I just kept getting hit left and right with things that I thought would be great for the podcast. Now, the first thing I'm going to talk about is actually an advertisement. <laughs> so I can just eat my own words there. But on page, it would be page 34, not 34, 36 of the printed magazine. There's an advertisement uh, put in. A, it, it appears to be an advertisement by the Dallas Market Center um, for their lighting concierge service. 
I found this really interesting. I feel like somewhere I've heard of this service before. It like tickles the back of my brain, but seeing this advertisement right here in black, literal black and white, um, made me really think about this as I consider how designers and our entire lighting industry do have opportunities to work together. So the text to the ad is offered exclusively inside the largest lighting marketplace in North America. That would be the Dallas Market Center. The lighting concierge is a complimentary personal service to inspire, guide, and provide access to the latest in lighting. And um, so the lighting concierge will help with project plans, sneak peek at new product, and provide access to selected showrooms year-round. So the whole point of the service, if I'm picking it up properly, (laughs) is to be an on-premise resource for designers who may want to shop the Dallas Market Center. Maybe they feel like they've got the decor components all taken care of or the furniture, but they really need an assistant with lighting. So enter the lighting concierge service. Look, lighting showrooms. <laughs> this is us. <laughs> lighting lighting concierge is our job every day. So I just really think we get so sort of uh, intimidated by designers maybe stepping into our world, designers purchasing direct. We we all sort of want to just throw up our hands and say there's no place for us and you know the sky is falling. But there is such an important place for us that our one of our biggest, you know, trade show marketplaces think that they should hire a person and have them on staff to make lighting more accessible for designers and other interested parties because there is a good, as we know, barrier to entry into understanding the lighting market and ceiling fan market, like as as I'm going to talk about probably in an upcoming episode of the podcast, also from this issue of this magazine, uh, hiring in the lighting industry and getting somebody trained to really know what they're talking about takes literal years to have somebody fully, fully understanding and invested and involved and knowing the product and knowing the situations, able to troubleshoot, able to provide constructive feedback. It takes a long time to get to that place. And it is not an interior designer's primary job to do that. Therefore, showrooms have a lot of value they can add. So I just really want showrooms to kind of take this as yet again, another sign that you are necessary and important. Don't be intimidated by designers who want to buy direct. If you keep asking, they keep saying no, move on to somebody else because you will build relationships with designers who do understand the value of what you bring to their business and to their projects. And if you can provide value, they will be willing to pay you more than what they would pay if they bought direct if they're able to do so. Now, does your pricing have to be competitive accordingly? Sure, it does. And maybe you do things on a fee basis instead of just the cost of the product. I don't know. Everyone's going to structure that differently. But know that there is such value in what you, the lighting showroom experts, can provide to designers. And don't let anybody tell you different because it is super, super important. So the next uh, 
page that I, well, it was actually before this in chronological order, but the next thing I want to talk about is on page 18 of the magazine. Uh, it's article titled, uh, trends in home furnishings, e-commerce. So that always piques my interest because kind of like designers, e-com always gets people's like hackles raised about, oh gosh, what are we doing? Where are we going? On a side note, um, I have been doing a lot of uh, SEO work for uh, my brands, um, and it's tough in the lighting world, I'm not going to lie. Um, the more I have these conversations um, about like SEO and targeting and getting traffic to the website and getting people that traffic to convert into sales, my goodness, it is, um, it is quite an ordeal, I, I have to tell you. It's not... Um, for reasons that are sort of beyond my comprehension, if I ever do come to comprehend them, I will certainly make a podcast about it. <laughs> but I think uh, it's just, there's so much product. We all use the same or similar data sources for the product. Everything just looks the same, the same, the same. On, inter on the internet, Google can't really distinguish between us. It's just a whole challenge, um, and even in even just getting noticed uh, visibly online. So, um, those of you who might be working on SEO and uh, optimization for lighting, I you I certainly you're in my thoughts. <laughs> and what I have learned, uh, maybe a little tidbit for other brick and mortar lighting showrooms, is if you can get your SEO dialed in in a in a in some thoughtful ways what you really will see is an increase in foot traffic in your store. And then it's on your teams to take it from there, but don't necessarily go out looking for the dollars and cents on e-commerce sales. Um, those, those feet in the door, I think have been the most valuable part for us of our SEO. So back to this article trends in home furnishings, e-com, um, it talks about a Shopify, uh, survey, like that's what it's recapping. Um, and here are some of the findings that I thought were really intriguing. So, um, the first thing they discussed was online furniture shopping. So the article was written by somebody whose name I'm just going to butcher, but Gianni, uh, Inuzio. So I apologize, Gianni, for getting your name so butchered, but, um, again, page 18, <laughs> Online furniture shopping. So the most important takeaway from this sentence, I highlighted it, consumers still prefer in-store shopping. Look at that. So designers, they need a lighting concierge and consumers still prefer in-store shopping. Wow. Just a really powerful reminder of how much opportunity there is still is for brick and mortar distribution. And we should all uh, keep that in the forefront of our minds, brick and mortar stores and the manufacturers that support us. I would argue both of us need to keep that in the forefront of our minds about how important this distribution channel truly is for consumers. 
So uh, more than half of the respondents in the United States to the survey, 53% of them reported that they did shop in furniture or in store for furniture. This is speaking to furniture at that survey. Uh, in comparison, around 43% reported they shopped for furniture online, 25% opted for e-com, and 18% opted, 18 opted to buy furniture direct from the brand. So that number did jump out to me a bit, that 18% buying direct. That is something, uh, the direct-to-consumer trend in our lighting industry is sort of a worrying one. That 18% that bought direct from the manufacturer would probably have split their dollars between um, e-commerce and brick and mortar before. And that would have been, you know, a boost of 9% to my total sales volume uh, that I'm losing by the manufacturer competing with me. Um, so that is stressful. <laughs> I understand there are good reasons for the manufacturers wanting to do this. It's pretty self-evident. But um, that is, in my opinion, that I've always argued, I feel just a dilution of the marketplace um, and not really helping any of the existing distribution channels. So I'm sure there's way more to that story that I would love somebody to clue me in on one time. Um, I can see, like, from my perspective, why a manufacturer selling D to C is useful. I do not understand the component of it where you kind of sidestep your existing distribution channels and do that. I'm not sure I understand why that's as beneficial as it seems to be other than just extra margin. And we all like margin. We all love margin. Margin's a good thing. So um, there are a, an increasing number of consumers who are aware of the benefits of shopping online and the things that were reported the most about benefits of shopping online are ease of purchase and free delivery, lower prices, and more availability. So ease of purchase. I've harped on this in this podcast before. We have to, as brick and mortar stores, make it easy for customers to do business with us in the way that they want to. So maybe you have some customers that enjoy the way you've done things for the past 10, 15, 20 years, and they want to keep doing things that way. Great. Please allow them to do so. But for younger people coming into your market, first-time home buyers, new, you know, do building their first new construction home, perhaps the way they want to work with you is not the same way. And you have to find different ways and different staff members maybe to operate differently for to get that ease of purchase. So what I've tried to do is develop ways that we um, can still operate the same way we always have and also find ways via our website or other electronic or digital platforms to make it easy for consumers to purchase with us. Because I know for some people, uh, not having that friction and be able to just buy and get product quickly is really what's going to make them purchase with me over somebody else. Free delivery. I do offer a free delivery in my market area. We do try to be smart about our deliveries and lump them together by, you know, like this is this part of the, our metro area and this is this part. And we try to hit them all on like one day that, you know, Tuesdays we're going to this neighborhood, Wednesdays we're going to that neighborhood. 
but we do offer free delivery and um, it is a, a well-loved service. I will say it is perhaps a bit underappreciated. Um, I think I've been kind of kicking around the idea of adding like a delivery like add like a delivery line to an order and then like a delivery credit um, so that people can see like the value that they're getting with our free delivery and keeping it more at the forefront of their minds Um, because it is uh, a service we're happy to offer, have always offered, but um, it is an expense we take on, right? So getting more, uh, having your consumers really appreciate that instead of just kind of expecting it, um, I think there is a a way to get some longer term value, you know, in that customer relationship. Um, Lower prices, I mean, I'm going to sidestep this a bit. We know what the issue is with IMAPs and lower prices. It's nonstop frustration. I'm sure this is episode number 98. There's probably 20 episodes that touch on this pricing issue. So I'm going to set it aside from now. Uh, More available inventory was the other thing. This really struck me because e-commerce channels are only promoting, putting on their websites, items that they actually have in stock. (laughs) It only appears that there's more available inventory because they're not showing you the things that aren't available. (laughs) It's very important. So those of us that have created our own websites via like Big Commerce or Shopify or another platform, it is a bit easier to control what you're showing in terms of available inventory. And that is really, really key um, to, to highlight those products that are in stock, either in your warehouse or the manufacturer's warehouse. It gives a different appearance than, you know, here's a list of a hundred things and half of them are factory stock unavailable or whatever it says or back order date. But that is a, you know, a strategic uh, marketing move that those e-commerce people are doing. It's not because they have so much more product. They're just only showing you the stuff they have in stock. And so there's a real nugget of wisdom there for those of us in our brick and mortar stores too. Um, augmented reality. Those of you who read the article knew I was getting to this, but It talks about augmented reality becoming popular ways for brands to showcase their products in a personalized way. Instead of relying on shoppers browsing general online images, um, AR brings product to life in front of consumers so they can visualize what they would look like in their home space. Many people prefer the physical experience of purchasing home furnishings products in-store Augmented reality can help bridge the gap between in-store and online shopping. Wow. Wow. According to a survey run by eMarketer, the majority of U.S. adults have used or are interested in using AR to shop, particularly those in the 18 to 34-year-old age group. Wow, again. This is why the Lighting Showroom Association has developed this AR program, That why we have brought it to market with Savoy, 
Capital and Verilu's already participating. It is an outstanding feature. If you're an LSA member showroom, your dues amount to about $50 a month and you get augmented reality, a tool that would cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to have. It's fantastic. And it's hitting this 18 to 34 year old age group. Do you know who those 18 and 34 year old age group shoppers are? They're your customers for the next 20, 30 years. These are the people that are gonna be, they're building their first starter home now. They're gonna come back to you in 10 years when they're building their next home. They're gonna come back to you in five years when they wanna upgrade something. In 20 years when they are building their first custom home, they're gonna come back to you. You want them to connect with you via these tools that are important to them now. And augmented reality is so, so cool. (laughs) I have shopped with it only a few times, but when I was in Dallas, I was working with Liz Townsend in the Capitol showroom just to answer some questions on AR. And she was showing me the Capitol augmented fixtures in real life right next to the physical product. And it was just such an amazing experience. It really looks the same. You can see what a value having a service like this would bring to consumers just shopping at home, having come to your store, gotten their information, a cut sheet, whatever they needed. They go home, they launch the AR experience. They stay on your inside your own four virtual walls, as I like to call it. <laughs> and they're purchasing direct from your store. They're not going to anybody else's website. It's such an amazing tool. It is something that consumers are looking for, especially our young consumers. And again, to my point, These are the people that are going to be shopping from your business for the next 20 years on. So getting that relationship with them now is super critical to them becoming a lifelong customer of yours. We know you're not going to see that customer every year for the next 30 years. That's not how things necessarily work in a lighting showroom, but you will see those customers again in five, 10, 15, however many years as they upgrade their homes and move on to their next homes. And so the time is now to show them that you're the resource for them. And then the last thing I want to talk about from this article was talking about, she hit on the value of sustainable purpose-driven goods. I found this to be a harder conversation to have uh, with lighting and fans than I would like it to be. Um, But I, you know, everywhere you turn, you do see, you know, people wanting to purchase things because it makes them feel good because there's a a sense of you're giving back. If you buy this pair of glasses, we donate a pair of glasses or this pair of socks, we donate a pair of socks. People really resonate with that um, shopping experience. And so I guess I want to toss it back out there to y'all. Anyone who has maybe done this sort of um, feel good marketing packaged up your fixtures in such a way to show like what green products went into them, or are you making a donation to offset something? I would just be really interested to hear different strategies into how to kind of do this like charitable part of selling that resonates with consumers. Um, I haven't landed on a particularly great idea in my business, but, um, 
I know there are good ideas out there and I know this is the group of people that has them. So if you have an excellent idea of some way you've done some like charitable marketing or uh, showcase sustainable products, um, I'd love to hear about it. And I will certainly share it back out on another episode of the podcast. So that's it for now. I have many more things to discuss from this magazine. So if you haven't read it yet, go grab a copy, see if you can tell what I'm going to talk about next. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, take care.